Hey y'all, and welcome to Render's Experiences, lessons on the campus visit experience and conversations during our travels. I'm Brittany Joyce. Yeah, yeah, okay, so it's been a minute since we published an episode of our podcast, but as you all know, when summer presents breaks in travel and work, you take it. Jeff and I have both been on our home offices catching up on work and life. We use the summer much like y'all do. What worked last year, what needs updating, what behavior trends we saw that we can share with our clients. But since Jeff and I haven't seen each other in several weeks, we first start out catching up on what we've been watching. Expectations. We're going to label this podcast hashtag summer tempo, also known as hashtag summer struggle. Our brains just aren't moving as fast as they normally do, y'all. Hang in there with us. Good. Uh, I was going to say good afternoon. Good morning. I don't know. Hey, Brittany. <laughs> it's good afternoon for me. It's 12.02, but you're still, the sun's still rising out there on the West Coast, huh? Well, it, it rises early in the summer, so it, it's That's almost, right. uh, yeah. Pacific Northwest mornings are a good thing in the summer. <laughs> I know. The times that you tell me, you're like, the sun starts rising at three o'clock yeah, <laughs> in the morning. Yeah. I'm like, That's not awesome. morning. That's not morning. So, I've had two cups of coffee, and I'm ready to, uh, to record this podcast. Nice, nice. Well, it's summertime. It's the middle of July, and it seems like I am getting more and more out-of-office replies from admissions folks that are in the middle of their vacations, and we've kind of been home for a stretch, enjoying some downtime of our own. Right, and it's been, uh, it's the longest I have spent in my home. Which is... This year, this year. Which yeah. is always great. Yeah. Right. We catch yeah. up, you know, I think like the last time we talked about that, we were on our holiday podcast where it was like we're catching up on shows and reading and all sorts of things. Yeah. Tasks and, and life. And, and life. life. Yes. <laughs> You've been watching anything great or reading anything great during your time at home? I, I uh, you know, as you know, I had a little medical procedure and so I rested over the this week and I watched the society on Netflix. Oh yeah. Kind of a Lord of the fly, uh, in a modern kind of setting. It's a fascinating commentary on, um, American youth in particular. Yeah. A little sci-fi, um, you know, heavy Gen Z cast are set in high school, but of course they're older than that. Um, it's some interesting commentary. It's got some holes in it, okay. Um, but um, a, a lot of commentary about. Long story short, is it's a wealthy community in Connecticut, and there's a stench in the air, and they're trying to get rid of it. And the government sends all the high school kids on a trip, and they come back short, and everyone in the town is gone. Um, and they are all alone. Like the roads to the town are blocked, so. They have to figure things out and, you know, they go from the denial and anger and mob to trying to be organized in a bit of a police state. And it's fascinating to watch these teenagers navigate it. What was it? Was it Netflix or HBO that had the show about those left behind? Was that called Leftover? Was it Left Behind or Leftovers? Uh, Left Behind is the series of books that you read in high school. Yes. (laughs) Uh, What was the show? uh, 
version. The Leftovers. The, the Leftovers. leftovers. So on HBO. It sounds like it's like if Leftovers and Lord of the Flies had a baby-ish. That's it. That's it. And I don't want to spoil the plot, but parallel universes might matter in both. Oh, so, uh, so you've got some like lost mixed in there and okay. Yeah. Did, yeah. Did the portals cross, you know? It has, um, the times that we've seen it on Netflix, it has some really, um, misleading imagery because you see this kid drinking out of a red solo cup and of course called the society with a husband who works in student affairs. Brian, of course, thinks this is going to be all about secret societies and fraternities. And uh, <laughs> we have that, heard, no, that, very different. <laughs> that they are, you know, those 150 high school kids are the society. Fascinating. Yeah, it's interesting, right? And when you add to the fact that it's like an affluent Connecticut town, right, outside of Fairfield, it, it adds, you know, the money doesn't matter. Your big house doesn't matter. Who your parents were don't matter. It's, it's some, I, I, in a Gen Z kind of commentary, I'd recommend it. Okay. And how about you? Um, you know, I feel like we've we've had several shows. So. Um, yeah, but what's the one you're rewatching? Well, right now I am rewatching Beverly Hills 90210, the original. Da na na na. So, and I didn't realize, or I had forgotten that that intro came during the second season. Second season, because it was originally called The Class of Beverly Hills. Yes, and so, yeah, the first season intro was just all the imagery of L.A. and mm -hmm. um, so very different. But I have come to, well, A, I have no idea why I thought this show was so good. The acting and the writing and the plot lines are so... Um, they're just terrible. There's no other good way to describe it. But I can I can think back to a very teen Britney and how enthralling this this show was. But in passing, Brian keeps saying, This is like the young and the restless or like a daytime soap that we watched in the evening. And it is so wild in terms of storyline. It it's just yeah. I'm having a hard time reconciling how much I really enjoyed this show growing up with what I'm watching right now. <laughs> so here's my take on this. Okay. So remember, it you know Fox was a fledgling network when it came out, right? I mean, Fox was maybe four years old, right? And 90210 was kind of a start in their nighttime programming. That's true. And And there were some nights... Like when Fox started, it only had Sunday night sitcoms as what? a network. Oh, I don't remember that. Yeah. So they it took years for them to fill their programming. So 90210 was a start for that. And then, you know, put on a pre-internet time before San Francisco and Seattle were big technology and write and streaming and all that. And remember, before the chaos of the 90s and a post-1984 Olympics L.A., you know, in that post-World War II 20th century, L.A. was the hottest place in America, right? New York, Los Angeles. And it still is the entertainment capital in so many ways. So that South California American dream that they were selling to teenagers that has been, you know, from Beach Boys music on... 
that convertible American teen dream. Yeah. Is what it was selling. So again, in the context of the time. It all works. It all works. And we'll see how you're excited about the reboot. I don't know that I'll watch that. You know, again, like just because we can't, you know, Jurassic Park rule, just because we can doesn't mean we should. (laughs) And I don't know how I feel about reopening that door, especially watching it right now. So what have you learned about Generation X? In rewatching rewatching 90210, if you'll put Generation X, you know, like that heavy part of Generation X that was just about, you know, graduating from high school and, and raised. Well, so I, um, you know, what's interesting to me in, in watching it now is you remember how absentee parents were, sure. except, except for the Walshes. For Walshes, who were the Midwestern transplants. Correct, correct. I mean, there are really... I know later in the show, right, is when you start, you just get into the plots, the storylines that are with the parents, but there's very little parent interaction. There's very little teacher interaction. There's very little governance of the teens. You know, they kind of do what they want, say what they want. They have access to everything. Um, so I, th- I think that that's interesting. I think because of the timing, you know, in, in the 90s and, you know, you're sort of, on that cusp of millennials, you get a lot of the millennial optimism mm-hmm. that's starting mm-hmm. to come. Like mm-hmm. the, you know, the just say no to drugs. It's so shocking when someone mm-hmm. does drugs and it's so shocking when people drink and, you know, Andre is involved with the teen line and this and this, and, you know, we're managing all this stuff. Um, so I, I, I don't remember that, but it, it feels a little like Saturday morning TV show in that like uplifting storyline way sure, sometimes. Sure, sure. Um, and then I think the most shocking part, I, just in reflection of, I don't know that this has to do with, with Gen X, but I think, you know, where we beat up boomers sometimes in modern culture for like, you know, how fast they're catching up to what's happening here in America and some of the progress or progressive movements. Gen X has had a long way to come as well. Because when you watch 90210, there is, there is a lot of sexist, racist, um, misogynistic. I mean, it's every once in a while, like someone will say, you know, this line or there's a plot line and I'm like, wow, if we watched, if that same show was written in 2019, this show would be kicked off the air pretty quickly, mm-hmm. right? Or that mm-hmm. episode would be this like, mm-hmm. you know, outrage. And mm-hmm. so I think it's just interesting to, I, we don't think of Gen X as having like, you know, the, as far of a, you know, a learning curve. But I think when you watch something like this, you're reminded of that, that there's still That's... a lot of time that has passed and a lot that has happened. And, and I think as Hennessy and, and it's okay to that point of, of, uh, of LA, you know, in, in Hennessy's book, zero hour for generation X, you know, he talks about how white Gen X really, as their youth, thought they kind of were living in a post-racial world, right? And not aware of it. And then the L.A. Rodney King riots happened and the O.J. Simpson trial. And all of a sudden, Gen X, white Gen X was like, 
oh, <laughs> to yeah. uh, to all to the point of all that you just talked about, right? So they maybe had an internal awakening and individually might have dealt with it. But I think what I'm hearing you say as a generation it is still catching up with it. Right. <laughs> and I think it's, is that, is that a fair assumption? Yeah, like, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, <laughs> there's this one episode in, um, I think it was at the end of season one. I'm in the midst of season two and Emily Valentine's reigns, which is like retaken over my oh, life. Um, from Marin County. Right, right. You know, and I'm the, in a, So did the float happen? I'm on that episode. I am in the middle of that episode right now um, where Emily Valentine is losing it. And so I'm going to watch that later this afternoon, finish that episode up. But And um, where were her parents? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, she like at one point. So earlier in this episode, she um, well, she slashed her own motorcycle tires so that like she could make Brandon help her. And then they invited her to spend the night at the Walsh's house because she was like, my parents are out of town and left me here. And like, she's 16 and it's a, like, it's a school week. Like she has, they have school the next day. And so I'm like, what the hell? Like this is, <laughs> oh, Gen X. Um, Gen X raised themselves. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so, you know, there's this, uh, an episode earlier where um, an African, or an African American family moves into Beverly Hills next door to the Walsh's and, Brandon ends up going on a couple of dates with their teenage daughter and he takes her to the peach pit and he's introducing her to everyone. And, you know, Brenda even gives him this, um, like the side conversations where she's like, Brandon, how progressive of you. And I'm like, you know, it's just moments like that where (laughs) I, I like, I hit pause and it's just fascinating that they even, thought to provide commentary on that in the show. You know what I mean? They wrote a line to acknowledge the fact that like, this is not something that usually happens. So, so right. So I I think you're learning a lot from it, even though you find it's cheesy (laughs) and that kind of stuff, but it's, it is, I think it's a grand setup of generation X. And, and I think to your point, you know, raising yourself and then you kind of just focused on yourself and then you started having a family and now you're taking those families on campus tours and behaving interestingly. Mm-hmm. But I think in all of that, Gen X hasn't made time to deal with the things that you were talking about. As, well, but as you say, Gen X will never come together. I don't know that I, they will. But <laughs> I, th- I thought about you, though, the other day when I was watching an episode and I'm like, why does everyone get so angry so quickly? Especially Brenda. She goes from zero to angry and like the drop, it's like, it's just a fleet. I don't know. It's a very quick reaction. And then I was like, well, they're all Gen Xers. So, I mean, does it really, do we have to really explain this? I'm overthinking this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> seen a lot this summer is change. Cuts in budget, new marketing campaigns, and the inevitable shuffling of admission staff. Tis the season. In this next clip, we chat about change and what you can do to improve the campus visit, even with a shoestring budget and transition all around you. Expectations. We're working from our home offices and things happen. Jeff's phone rings. I have to return a quick email to a client, so you'll hear me hammering on my keyboard a bit. Both instances will pass quickly. 
reading as much, but one thing I do religiously, and I know you do too, is we get up and we read the daily briefing from the Chronicle. We get up and read Inside Higher Ed. And I've got to tell you, I'm having some like PTSD every morning when I open Inside Higher Ed. And <laughs> I, uh, I think as we've said before, we knew the demographics were coming. As you've reminded me of that, we didn't do anything about it. But back to Gen X and Gen Z, I don't think it, it to me, it's like kind of this perfect storm of the declining demographics, the rise of costs, but then that the psychology of today's traditional age students and their parents and the issues with cost and not wanting to even go to college or take out loans, besides the fact that there are just less of them, institutions in higher ed aren't prepared for their mindset, right? They yeah. No, I mean, you know, I, I think his name was Nathan Graw. Um, you know, he wrote a book about demographics and um, and the, the demand for higher education. And I think, you know, when I remember reading it and, you know, he kind of warned us like all this was coming. And we, we all knew anybody like you, especially, you know, someone who looks at you know, global history and global economics and politics, you know, we all knew that this was coming. And yet I still feel like we see a lot of college leaders that seem to think that there's some magic bullet that's somehow going to fix declining demographic or at least fix it for their institution. And it's like, oh, let's just get more international students. Let's lower tuition. Let's find more out-of-staters. Let's do some better marketing. And, um, and I know there's not one fix, but I think the point is that you know, we all knew there there was lead time here, and now I feel like the bill is coming due, and it's mm -hmm. it's a little it's catching everyone off guard when they shouldn't have been off guard. Right, and and so if I, I think you and I have done a, a lot of therapy uh, <laughs> with with some clients, but I think attending conferences this Ooh. conference season, yeah. you know. Um, we're repeating the sentiment and feeling of a lot of people. Um, and, and I think I have now, as I told one colleague, a friend who's, you know, in a vice presidential search, and they said, you know, the president and the cabinet and the board, you know, they want more, they want brighter, and they want more full pay. And I'm like, do not take that job. Yeah. Because that's an institution that just, is not aware of what all we're talking about here, that there's just this pipeline out there that they think, it, 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 well, if we just market better, like it, it's so beyond that, that if leadership of a board and a cabinet and a president or chancellor does not wake up to the reality of their situation, right? It's mm -hmm. thus to all of the... Yeah, I know. We're going to end up uh, next conference season. We'll have render branded tissues at our table. So, <laughs> and we'll hand out many bottles. <laughs> Those will be available behind the table. <laughs> oh. Render. I know. We need like our own branded bourbon. I know. Oh, that would be great. Well, NACAC is in Louisville. I feel like we might be able to make this happen. So, the one thing then is there are families that are still coming to visit. And we still know the visit is 
when they're visiting, how they're visiting, those things might be shifting. Um, but they're still coming to visit. Yeah. And, you know, so much of what we tell our clients, yeah, sure, building new visitor centers and that kind of stuff. But really, a lot of what we recommend to clients might take the resource of time, but doesn't take the resource of money. Absolutely. I think there are lots of, well, I mean, everything costs something. But I, the one thing that I, the two things that I think we all have a lot more control over than we, than we think are the time and effort in like planning a visit and executing a visit in person and then people to make that all happen. So there are lots of low cost or, you know, I'm going to put free and air quotes solutions or action items that can make the campus visit better and more successful without having to make these like massive investments in money. You're absolutely right. Do we want to talk about some of those Let's things? Talk about some of those. Okay. What are some things that you have seen that you, you know, think I, are good? I, I think <laughs> I think I tend to hang out in the intangible. <laughs> That's a good place to be. You know what I mean? And instead of those tangible, I mean, yeah, I care about cleanliness and those kind of things. Um, but just today in the newsfeed, I'm, I'm sure you got it. The Chronicle um, has a report on change on a client, change on a campus, how to impact change mm -hmm. um, that they just published, $79. Um, and and so... <laughs> <laughs> we'll pause and laugh for a second. <laughs> you know, change costs money. Back to the point of, wait, change doesn't cost money. That's the opposite. Oh, of what we've been talking about on this podcast. But I think that if you think about so much of what we do um, in, in recommendations in that, I, I think it is intangible. So for me, I think it's, you know, it, it's the, um, it is that consistent promotion internally of the campus visit you know, everyone promotes their campus visit on the website and then their marketing and we tell all of our clients, you know, that. But what are we doing to to promote the campus visit to our faculty, to our staff and to mm. our students to educate them on the importance of that, to train them on that? You know, we've told clients to put ads in newspapers, campus papers, thanking them to put, you know, posters up or, you know, just that, you know. 10,000 prospective students came to visit and, 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 and the role that they play in that, right? Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't cost money to try to get a campus to understand everyone needs to hug a prospective family of some sort that the, the, the things like one, everyone needs to be aware of their aesthetics, their bulletin boards. You know, if you're a Dean and you're walking through you know, does your lobby present itself as tours are coming through? Like, who is paying attention to those things and how do you educate towards cleanliness? And and then I think then the educational promotion of the visit to your internal audience and how to say hello and welcome and why those last minute requests are so important. And when those Gen X parents want to chat with a psychology professor, um, and I think then that leads to opportunities for personalization and customization 
that are really more about logistics and not about costs. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I know it's like broad sweeping and theoretical, but promoting your campus visit and educating your crew, your faculty, staff, and students, I, I, I don't think we, I don't think we're, I don't think a lot of schools do that, right? They, you know, we, how many times on a tour do we feel like we're a hindrance to the campus? Right. You walk into a space and all eyes dart to the tour group and not all of them are welcoming Welcoming. <laughs> right? You know, right. that, that, how many times do you and I go into fitness centers or wellness centers and just like, uh, the student worker staff just kind of look, you know, when they're studying or on their computer and don't even look up or acknowledge or act like this is just a hassle to get these people through a security gate. Right. Which is why a client like the University of Iowa, who has made the investment in the name badges that every visitor wears, and we have several of our clients that have the name badges. I Iowa's are great because they're personalized and it's a piece of memorabilia and you get to keep it, but... We have other clients like Northeastern University who has a general visitor badge and that's something you can, I think you can keep it, but you can also turn it back into the office. But either way, it creates, um, you know, an easily promotable moment on campus to say, hey, look for the people who were in the visitor badges, right? Even if they're not on tour, if they come into your building after the tour, you see them at lunch, you know, welcome them, say hello. Don't give them the mean eyes, the sideways. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and, and so, you know, you, you're one of, if not the best person in, in student development and, and, and in ambassadors. And I think that when we look at our student ambassadors, we're so worried about the external facing, right? What's mm. the script to the guests? What's the, the family? But what are we doing to get our ambassador crew to be the ambassadors of the campus visit to their friends, right. to other students, right? I mean, I think Birmingham Southern early on did a really great job in that not only raising the profile and importance of their Southern ambassadors, but how those ambassadors influence the other organizations to be pro-campus visit and to be pro-campus visitors. Yeah, that sometimes being an ambassador is not just the outward ambassadorship, Ambassador. but it's yep. internal as well. And yeah, just saying right. like, reminding current students, I think like you were just here doing yep. the same thing with your parents no more than four years, four ago. years ago. So be cool, be cool. talk right. to people. Like, wouldn't you have enjoyed it if a current college student would have said, hey to you and yep. wanted to chat with you for a second yep. or even just yep. held a door for you. So, yep. no, I think that's a great point. I think, you know, for me, I, me and Trent, or Trent and I are, are two, I think, of the harshest graders in the render world on aesthetics, <laughs> based on where we've worked and um, <laughs> our expectations for how things should look. <laughs> if everyone could see your face on our video right now, cracking up. Um <laughs> but you know and you mean growing up in manicured south florida and dallas <laughs> <laughs> i know like the locations in which trent and i grew up are not uh <laughs> not shabby places to be um but you know i think it, when 
you know, sometimes we go on campus and we tell folks like you have to clean up campus. And some of that is, you know, it's, it's signage and it's, um, getting wraps on buildings and banners up. All of those are long-term plans with like big price tags. Um, but I don't think everything has to be that way. I think when you, when you want to clean up campus, sometimes that just means, you know, getting rid of clutter. Yeah. Getting rid of clutter. Um, I think it can mean those random chairs in lobbies <laughs> stuff under stairwells. I think it can be paint, you know, doing something easy, like painting crosswalks in your school colors. If you can do that. Um, I think it can be uh, like sending your admissions folks out or your ambassador folks out once a day and just picking up the trash in the parking lot or around your own office. I mean, facilities mm -hmm. does not have to do that for you. That is something that you could do yourself in the meantime to improve aesthetics. Um, so, I mean, I think that there are some free things. Staging showrooms, I think people think is, you know, going to be like a huge investment and, I'm like, you know, every single year seniors graduate and they're just like purging stuff out of their rooms. You should be asking seniors, hey, what can we take off your hands that you're just going to throw away that we can turn around and use in our showroom um, to make it look more authentic? I mean, so I, there are opportunities it, out well, there. There are. And if I think if you'll go back to that, and we've recommended that to so many clients, outside of the real room, we have learned and you know, again, no one tours more campuses than us. You know, if you have the three, there's really four rooms, right? The real room, that stage room that you talked about that kind of feels like a real room, mm -hmm. the the Bed Bath & Beyond or Ikea themed room, right? Where they've come in um, and then an empty room. Right. I do think that priority wise, those are the ones that we would recommend because how do families respond when we have gone in those realish rooms and i mean you how how do they respond tell our listeners that's me tossing you a question <laughs> when they when they go into a real like an actual real room no that next level that realish room oh, that you just talked yeah. about no i i they respond really well because you really know, well they do i think you know <laughs> compared to a compared to a model bed bath and beyond room oh absolutely you know it's funny because i blogged earlier um this um this month about um the the fact that so i get pottery barn stuff in the mail um and it, Pottery Barn has come up with a Pottery Barn dorm catalog. Um, and so it's funny because the, the the catalog talks all about storage and like curtains and decorations. And it's like, this will be your first home away from home. How are you going to make it yours? And it's really hard to visualize storage and decorations and how I'm really going to outfit this room when you don't see how current students set it up. So I think, you know, outside of a real student room, that next level down, making it as authentic as possible and showing the storage, how much can I actually get into this room is really important. And even graduating ambassadors had plenty of stuff they could have donated. They yes. could donate. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Towards that real room, that real-ish room.
Remember when I told you about hashtag summer tempo and hashtag summer struggle? There are so many great ideas we didn't mention in the moment. Things like A-frame signs that you can use as temporary signage to help visitors find parking. If your campus will allow you to chalk on sidewalks, you can use that to get visitors to your welcome center. Decorating empty bulletin boards along the tour route with visitor names or fast facts about the institution or things that ambassadors struggle to talk about. And stationing students outside in your parking lot to help greet visitors, especially if parking is difficult or faculty and staff tend to take up your visitor spots. Lots of ideas out there. Also worth mentioning, I wrapped up season two of Beverly Hills 90210. You know what Cindy and Jim Walsh do when Brenda's out of control and she runs away from home to live with her 17-year-old boyfriend, Dylan McKay? They send her to Paris for a six-week vacation so everyone can, quote, cool off. Talk about a classic Gen X to millennial turning point. A few additional things for you to remember. Conference season is upon us, and we hope to see you this summer. Want to know where we'll be? Go to our homepage at www.renderexperiences.com and check out our tour dates. Number two, subscribe to our renderings blog for updates on best practices in the campus visit and our experiences outside of higher education. You'll also receive Render Raves, our monthly newsletter of what we're reading, watching, and pondering. Go to renderexperiences.com and click blog at the top right of our homepage. Number three, want to collaborate with us? Find who we are, what we do, and an inquiry form on our website. Shoot us an email or give us a call so we can learn more about your goals, your challenges, and how we can help. Thanks for listening to Renders Experiences. I'm Brittany Joyce, and remember, it's all about the experience.